Creator God, you remind us that the darkness of ignorance and doubt cannot overcome your life-giving word. May your Holy Spirit, who first inspired these words of scripture, shine your light and once again awaken us to the hearing and the living of this radiant truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first scripture reading this morning is the prophet Isaiah, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Hear the word of God. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. May God bless to our understanding this reading from God's word.
Our second scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 36 through 44. Hear the word of the Lord. But about that day, an hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And then they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the knife the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not let his house have be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. My message this morning is titled The Christ of Christmas. It's something I put together some time ago, and I think I worked on it for almost three years before I had it where I was, I felt comfortable enough to, to give it. And the first time I did it was uh, at the annual meeting of the Tall Cedars of Lebanon for the memorial service, and uh, I've been asked to do it every year since. So I'm pleased to share my words with you this morning. It's titled, The Christ of Christmas. In Isaiah we read, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. After Christmas Day is gone and we resume our accustomed activities, the spell of Christmas is often broken, its luster dimmed, its message forgotten. But Christmas is too wonderfully magnificent to be confined to one solitary fleeting day. There is rather a deathless significance in this child of God, which brings perpetual happiness, immeasurable and unspeakable. To what better advantage can I use these moments this morning than to ask you to separate your heart from all earthborn attachments, to submerge whatever doubt or skepticism you might have, to follow the lowly shepherds to that glorious child in Mary's arms and to immortalize Christmas as a hope of perpetual and undying happiness. Who is this child about whom the very universe revolves and whom the hopes of all the years have their joyous fulfillment? Seven centuries ago, before the heavenly messenger aroused its drowsy Judean shepherds, Isaiah, the evangelist of old of the Old Testament, answered the question, probing deep down beneath the externals of our Christmas celebration. He strikes at the very heart and center of Christmas, of a Christ-conscious Christmas, when in those vestless words, beginning, unto us a child is born, us, unto us a son is given, he identifies this Christmas child by these five glorious names. 
wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and tells us who this Christ child is and what he must mean to our modern world. Isaiah calls the Christ child, first of all, wonderful. Daniel Webster was once asked whether he could understand Christ. Relying on the negative, he declared that if he could understand him, there would be nothing to give Jesus faith and divine force. The Christmas message is not a, an appeal to reason, to be sure. Ardent words of thankful prayer that it is something infallibly greater than this. It is an, it is an appeal to the truths of God's love. It is a mystery of God's becoming man, divinity putting on humanity, the creator appearing as the creature, the eternal son of God incarnate as the son of man. The cold calculating rationalization of reason bids men to ask with age old skepticism, how can these things be? How can this child called the wonderful be both divine and human, both the helpless babe and the ruler of the universe, of whom our text says, the government shall be upon his shoulder, implying that he directs the affairs of men, controls forces of nature, and governs the vast universe. Let us rejoice that instead of understanding, we must only believe and kneel down before the wonder of the ages, to offer the pure gold of our faith, the frankincense of our hope, and the mystic myrrh of our love. But the wonder of this child becomes intensified when we realize that the babe in the manger is the superhuman solution to the universal problem of sin. To all who humbly and gratefully accept Christmas for what its name implies, the wonder of wonders is accomplished, and they are all assured of this miracle-working love announced even before the child's birth. Quote, he shall save his people from their sins, unquote. There is the glorious wonder of this child. No sin too great, no offense too vile, no wrong too oppressive to be removed freely and completely and for all time by his priceless, deathless love. The second blessed name of the Christ of Christmas is the Counselor. If you are looking for someone or something that can effectively lift you out of the labyrinth of hopelessness and helplessness, you can find a divine counselor in the Bethlehem of Judea. Here is a counselor who is concerned first and foremost about the soul that lives on after the trinkets and baubles that men's clutch so frantically crumble into disappointing dust. Here is the faithful and efficient counselor who tells us, seek ye first the kingdom of God. That is, get right with God. Remove the barrier that separates you from God and that keeps you away from the inner happiness which alone makes life worth living. And when you come and ask, how can I get right with God? How can I remove the impurity of sin from my life? The great and wonderful counselor that he is, this Christ tells us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Believe in me. Never has his counsel failed. Never is there any problem too intricate for his constructive solution. 
Never is there any sorrow too deep to be healed by the balm of his consoling love. So when the joy of Christmas stands out in crying contrast to the sorrow that reigns in the hearts of some of you, when you think of your misfortunes, when you think of the gladness that has been turned into sadness through the coming of cold death or through the blasting of long-cherished hopes, look above these difficulties to the counselor and believe him when he calls out to you, come, come unto me, all ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The third name of this wonder child is the mighty God. Here then we have the real Christ of Christmas, the Christ who, from the lowly beginning at Bethlehem until the bitter, heartbreaking end at Calvary, claimed to be, proved to be, and was declared by God to be, God manifest in the flesh. Oh, he had to be God to offer substitution for the overpowering weight of sin and its consequences. He had to be God to give humanity a hope that was stronger than human power, truer than mortal truth, more hopeful, Earth's strongest hope. I sometimes wonder whether beneath all the hurry and scurry of Christmas, we realize the practical meaning of this sublime truth, namely that God became man, that he lived and walked and had his being on earth in the closest contact with sin-stained men. What unutterable love, what indescribable mercy, and what supreme promise. For does not he who once trod the path of men give to those who know him and who love him and who have been reconciled by his atoning blood the assurance, even in today's turmoil, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Think of this priceless Christmas gift of God's grace. Emmanuel, God with us, to turn the night of sin and sorrow into the brilliancy of a radiant day. God with us, to lead us through the devious and difficult paths of life. God with us in the happiness of our homes. God with us in the stern realities of the battle of existence. God with us in the trials and temptation that bear down upon us. God with us as the all-sufficient, all-embracing friend, guide, and savior now and forevermore. Yes, forevermore, because Isaiah's fourth name for the helplessness infant is the everlasting father. Throughout their long and varied existence, men have yearned and strained for something firm and unchangeable, for something positive and everlasting. Since the highest achievements of human ambitions rise only to fall. They are here today and gone tomorrow. Even the choicest products of man's intellectual attainments are short-lived, hailed in this hour and rejected in the next. But this morning, I want you to look at this pillar of the ages, this changeless Christ 
for a changing world. Who is the same today? Who is the same yesterday, today, and forever? And find in him the everlasting rock of ages to which, amid the ebb and flow of man's hopes and delusions, you can cling with unending and undying assurance. Friends enter favors to you to may change, your hopes shattered and crushed. But here in this child is God's answer to your search for eternity, the solution of the mystery of the grave, the promise of him who says, because I live, ye shall live also, whose eternity is the unfailing pledge of our life after death. When Christ complied with Philip's request, Lord, show us the Father, he answered, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Have you seen the Father in Christ? Remember, if you think you have seen God in any other way, if you think you can accept God without accepting Jesus Christ, if you assert that you believe in a supreme being or in a great creator, in the Father of us all, and exclude Christ from all this, then you do not know the meaning of Christmas and you do not know God. My friends, these words may seem rather harsh, but they are the words we live by. But the sweetest note of the Christmas message comes in Isaiah's last name for the Christ child, the Prince of Peace. The only way to establish peace with our God and peace with our conscience is to come to Christ and to believe that he has effectually and forever removed the discord between the holiness of God and the unholiness of man, that he, by his incarnation, by his poverty and suffering to which he, as Lord of Lords and King of Kings, subjected himself, satisfied the claims of divine justice and offers to all the benefits of that momentous peace treaty between heaven and earth that has been signed and sealed by his very blood. Do not let Christmas Day draw its to completion without coming to the Christ child in spirit and in truth, and without receiving from him this priceless, peerless peace of soul and mind, this inner spiritual peace of God. Thus and thus alone can Christmas be to you what it should be and what, pray God, it will be. The birthday of Christ, the Prince of Peace, not only in Bethlehem, but also in your innermost heart. And now, at this Christmas season, I would like to wish for you and yours peace, peace that abide, joy, joy to lighten the burdens of life and faith, faith that will not lessen during these fast changing times. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen.
I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray. All good things come from you, O God, and it is with gratitude we return to you what is yours. Bless these gifts, bless the givers, and bless the ministry of this, your church. May these gifts and our lives serve to witness to your faithful and everlasting love revealed in Jesus Christ, so that all people in all places may know the good news of your love and grace in Jesus Christ. Amen. As you leave this place, go in peace to love and serve the Lord, to love and care for one another. Today is the first Sunday in the season of Advent. This is a time the early church set aside for prayer, fasting, and reflection on the true meaning of Christmas, the true meaning being God with us. So in this busy season, take some time alone without your cell phone and reflect on the true meaning of Christmas, God with us, God's, God's presence in your life. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you today and always. Amen. Mm -hmm.